So as we continue in our Connecting the Dots series and looking at covenant relationship and kingdom partnership, um, we're going to dive into uh, the Noah story this morning. And uh, for many, the Noah story is a story that you have heard since a childhood if you've grown up in the church. Um, and it's the, it's the ark, and it's the animals, and it's the rainbow, uh, and it's um, all sunshine and, you know, flowers and, and great. Um, but if you dig into the story, you get a picture of something that's far from that to something that's on the other end of the spectrum of uh, things were pretty horrible and required or necessitated this from God with the flood and the ark and the animals and then eventually the rainbow in the sky to something new again. And so I, I don't want us to jump into the, the Noah story without recognizing that, that um, what's happening is horrendous in the world, uh, in, in Noah's time. And that uh, even, even now in, in, in our lives, um, there can be all kinds of things that take place and, and we stand back and we look at it and, and we say, man, I think the end is coming. Yeah? I mean, how many of, how many of us have, in seeing the, the current events of, of whatever ended up happening, whether it was a natural disaster or just the state of the economy or society and, and, and all that's going on, haven't stated that in your life of, boy, we must be at the end. This looks pretty bad. But if it looks bad now, I want you to get into your head and into, this, into, into, this, into Genesis, into the scripture, starting in Genesis chapter 6. I want you to get into that to see that this was worse of what you see and read in Genesis 6. Okay, So if you've made that statement in your life and, and at any point of life, you have made that statement of like, wow, we must be at the end. We don't know when the end's coming. Revelation isn't a, isn't a deciphering book to figure out when the end is coming. Actually, Revelation, uh, Revelation of John is to help us give us hope that, there, that, that, that we're not alone, to give us hope that there isn't an end, that we don't exist anymore, to give us a hope that we have a relationship with Jesus that calls us into eternity. What I want us to draw here in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 6, is that it was worse much worse. Much worse. So let's, let's internalize that for a moment here this morning as we jump into to the story of Noah. And again, this, this story of Noah, this is a, a, a Noah and the flood, this is a retelling of the creation story. Last week as we dove into the Adam and Eve story and the creation story, God creating the whole world, um, putting um, uh, uh, humans, man and woman in the garden, um, giving them a purpose, identity and a purpose of, of what to do while they're there. Um, and then that going horribly wrong for all of creation and separating us from God and, and, and Adam and Eve choosing independence rather than the dependence on God and how that each and every day of our lives we have an opportunity to choose dependence on God or independence for ourselves that at, at any point that I say that I want to do this or I want to do this apart from what I even hear or know God calling me to do I'm choosing an independence of, apart from God and the creation story and the story of God and Adam and Eve is this dependence on him and in that we have hope we have strength we have identity that he has given us 
for us. So the, the, the Noah and the flood story is a retelling of the creation story, but it's in a different way where in the creation story, God says I, that I created um, heaven and earth, right? Day one, two, three, four, five, and six. And then on day seven, he rested. He knew, God knew when to say enough, when to rest. And then he desired to rest with his creation, desired to rest with Adam and Eve in the garden. And in that, in that experience, do we know when to say enough? Do we know when to rest? That in, in our world, in our context, the, for me, the, probably the best example of areas of life that don't know when to say enough, that it just keeps creating over and over and over again, it keeps multiplying, that, that if, it, if, it, if there's no rest there, it's very destructive, right? Cancer is that thing. Cancer is that thing that it keeps multiplying, keeps creating, creating, creating. It never knows when to stop. It never knows when to rest. And many of us have been touched by that in this room, whether personally or around us. We know people who are battling that, is battling for their life because they have something within them that doesn't know when to rest. It doesn't know when to stop. And God in the creation story says, it is enough. It is very good, all that I've created. And now I want to rest and commune with my creation. And here in the flood story, it's, the, it's, it's knowing when to say is enough, but on the other end, on, just, on the destructive end. When is it enough of, of the destruction to stop and that that's done? Before we jump into Genesis chapter 6, there's a, a piece of this that I think is helpful for us, us to understand, this relationship between God and his, and his creation, God and humanity. There are these two, two terms in regards to a covenant relationship, suzerain and vassal. And these, are, these are French terms, um, but comes out of the, um, um, even just a, the king and their, and their subjects. But the suzerain is the, the one that holds the control, that has the pa power. And then the, the vassal is the one who, who needs maybe the protection of the suzerain, needs the, the, um, the, the, the ability to, to have space and exist. And, and so there's a relationship between the suzerain and the vassal. And that a, that a, um, a covenant can be struck between the suzerain, between the rulers or ruling powers, and the vassal, those subjects. That of, uh, you can, uh, let's take it in, in um, uh, ancient times, well, I guess it is ancient times, but this idea of you can work the lands that I give you, and then while you do that, you will give some back to to the, the ruling power, to the, to the, to the king or, or whoever happens to be ruling. That's the suzerain, okay? And in doing that, the suzerain will offer protection for your land while you work it, and that you can live there in peace and have a space and exist there. Uh, within this relationship, uh, the suzerain is the one with the power, right? Uh, if the vassal serves the suzerain, they find that they have protection and can exist and, and be at peace. Uh, but the vassal is the weaker of the two. Uh, and it's to serve, right? The, there's this, to serve, if they want to exist and live in peace, to serve the, the, the suzerain. Um, if they don't, they risk the consequences, right? And in the midst of this uh, relationship, in this covenant, the vassal is the one that holds the proof, the sign of, a, of the covenant of their protection from the suzerain. The vassal is the one that holds it. If you don't have it, 
You don't have proof that you've got protection under the rule of the suzerain. And so they would need to have the proof uh, or, or be at risk of losing everything they have. And here's an example from Scripture. It's the example of, of Judah and Tamar. Uh, Judah being one of, of, of Jacob's sons uh, later on in the story in Genesis. Uh, but, but Judah... Um, uh, has a relationship with Tamar. Tamar happens to be his daughter-in-law. But they have relations, and he doesn't know that it's Tamar that he's having relationships with. He, he thinks it's just a, um, a, a prostitute um, who's at this, um, worshiping another god at this idol place, right? So he thinks he's having relations with a prostitute, but it ends up being his daughter-in-law, but he doesn't know that at the time. Tamar asks for a sign from Judah, and so the sign is the ring, and it's the staff, and it's the cloak. These are signs of protection that Tamar is asking uh, from Judah. And not knowing, uh, Judah not knowing who this is, Tamar knowing full well who Judah is, uh, it ends up that, that Tamar gets pregnant. Right, and so uh, Tamar's family is 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 irate. They take they bring her. Uh, they get word back to Judah. They bring her back to Judah, and it's like, you know, the, who is, this person should be put to. That's the the penalty is they be put to death. And so uh, they bring Tamar before Judah, and Tamar presents the ring and the staff and the cloak, and this provides protection for Tamar, though the penalty of finding herself pregnant, not knowing who the father is, was death. She finds with those signs has protection of her life, though it could have been ended right there. And because she has these items, Judah realizes, oh, it was me. I'm the father. Oh, it, oh it's me, right? And then... Uh, well, the rest of this is a really messed up story, right? So I, I, bring this, I bring this as an example, not to further the discussion on Judah and Tamar, though, it's, though it's, it's a good one. Those signs are a sign of a suzerain and a vassal, a vassal relationship, a protection. You now have protection from me, the ruler or the, the more powerful person. You have those signs, and now you have, you have saved your life because you have these, right? So as we dive into the Noah... And, and with the flood story, know that there's this relationship between the suzerain, which would be God in this story, and the vassal, which is humanity, or Noah in this story. So I've asked um, uh, Joelle to read. You're going to make me come down there? You're going to come get it. Joelle's going to read, but she's going to read all throughout uh, this morning, um, and so she's going to do it from her seat because that was the only way I could get her to read. That's right, but thank you for reading, Joel. I appreciate it. Um, so as we dive in, Joel, can you read for us uh, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5? The Lord was how great the, wicked, the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will, wipe, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creation, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Thanks. 
okay, this is, this is pretty bad. Evil everywhere. Evil all the time. And not just evil from humanity, we find that there's evil in all of creation. All of creation has decided to orient and operate themselves different than the way God had intended from the garden. Right? In this span of time, it is so... Uh, uh, Life and people choosing to follow God and be in relationship with their creator had so turned in the opposite direction. There was evil all the time, evil all around. In fact, even in these words of, I regretted, I grieved, or God grieved, and the Lord's was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. He was sorry that he had made man. We're at a point where we hear just even in the 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 direness of what's going on, that God grieved his creation, that he had created this. Something that he had called very good. Something that he had called good. He now is at a point, God was now at a point grieving that he had created all of this and created humanity. I mean, that's dire to the point where that he's then deciding that it's time, to, it's time to cleanse the land. It's time to clean out the creation. Um, and, and so in, in all of your, our lives and our life experience, it's been bad. We've seen some horrendous stuff take place. We have. We've lived through some very terrible times. And we've heard about terrible times in the past though we may not have lived through them. This is dire. Take a moment to internalize this setting for a moment. A lot of times we get to the, the Noah and the flood story and we get to the animals in the ark and Noah getting saved, but here's the, here's the pretext to it. It was so bad that God grieved his creation. He grieved what he created. Let's continue on, because there's hope. Right, there's hope. Let's continue on. Joel, can you read 8 and 9, please? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Okay, so Noah, we've, we, so there's evil all around. Everywhere there is evil, even in God's creation and animals, right? In humanity, there's, there's just evil all around. But in Noah, God found favor. That in Noah, there was righteousness. That he did what was right. He pursued a relationship with God. Now here's the deal. Did Noah have... The Bible? Did Noah have scripture? Did Noah have a synagogue or a church to go to? Did Noah have any of that? No, but what Noah did have was a relationship with God. And that God remembered Noah, or that God thought of Noah and found favor in him, and that was, he was called righteous, blameless. Right? In all, of, in all of the earth, all that God could find was Noah. All that God could find in all of his creation was Noah. He must have been a righteous guy. 
must have had it together. It must have been, you know, his days spent in relationship with God, his nights spent resting with the Father, right? Working for six days and then taking some rest. Uh, Joel, can you read 18 for us, please? But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, and your wife and your sons' wives with, with you. Okay, so with Noah... In this relationship that he has with God, that he is going to, he's calling out to Noah, I'm going to make this covenant with you, Noah, right? This isn't on Noah, he's already been found righteous and have favor with God, but in you, Noah, I will make this covenant with you, right? You're going to build this ark, Um, we skipped those parts here in in chapter 6, but you're going to build this ark and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be in it and I'm going to keep you safe there, all your, your sons and their wives and your wife, your family is going to be rescued in this moment, in this time, in this season. I'm going to confirm a covenant in you, Noah. And guess what Noah has to do? Noah has to build an ark, right? Noah has to be obedient and faithful to do this, Right? You, Noah has to, to yes, okay, you're going to have covenant, you call me to build this ark. Now I have to actually put my hands to the hammer and the nail or the, the wood, right? And I have, to put my, I, have to put, I have to put some work in. I have to follow and be obedient. Okay, uh, uh, Joel, verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Okay, so he did all that God had commanded Build this ark, do it in this way, put this together, use this wood. Here's the dimensions, build this ark, because this is what uh, I will use to to save you and and these animals uh, from destruction. And then we get into chapter 7. And all of chapter 7 talks about is, is this... Uh, cleansing of the earth. We're going to wipe it clean. We're going to we're going to um, remove all all of the the disobedience, all of the unrighteousness, all the things that are apart from the very good things I created in 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 the garden. We're going to remove all of that. And here we've got this ark, this bastion. I've got I've got animals. I've got. Um, two every kind of unclean animals. I've got seven every kind of clean animals. I've got Noah and his family, and, and, and I've got them locked up here in, in, the, in the ark, and everything else is going to get wiped clean, wiped away. And there are times in our life that we need God to say, look, I am... I'm holding you up in this safe place so that all the rest can go. And it's no longer in your life and it's no longer holding on to you and it's no longer influencing you and it's no longer a part of your everyday. But you need time to clear that out. There are things that are holding on to us, and they're holding on to us because we haven't given enough time to, to separate ourselves with God and for that, that stuff to be taken out, to re- be removed from our life. Right? It rains for 40 days and 40 nights, but they're in the ark for far longer. It takes a while for all those waters to sub- subside and, and to recede and for the ark to finally be resting on the mountain, on a mountain, and then it has to keep proceeding. It takes time. 
It takes time for the things that we're allowing into our life that are of the world, that are apart from God, that are independent from God, it takes time for that to be cleaned and cleared out, to be washed away, so that what can take root is something of God, is something dependent upon the Creator, dependent upon God. It takes time to remove that. So if you think that there's a sermon series that exists or a study or a resource that exists, that it's like, in 40 days, I've figured it out. In a week's time, I've figured it out. In six months' time, I've figured it out. It, it likely hasn't been fully washed away. Especially if we're still holding on to areas where we haven't fully removed ourselves. Noah and his family fully removed from, from the atmosphere, from the creation that was there that had turned evil. Fully removed. Before God let the waters recede, the doors open, and then, then it could come out. Washed away. There are, there are areas in our life that we absolutely need God's anointing, God's Favor God's flood <laughs> to wash through us, over us, clear out areas of our life that are not of God, that are independent from Him and not dependent upon Him. And here in verse eight or uh, chapter eight, verse one, uh, here's um, here's the hinge. This part sits in the middle of the story. So if you have a highlighter and an underline and you want to write it down, uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, Joel, can you read that for us? But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the water receded. But God remembered Noah. All this time, the water's coming up from the deep, the water's coming down from above, floods the earth, whole earth is full of water. We just have this boat floating on the, on the top. Water starts to subside, and God remembered Noah. There might be seasons of our life where we let this water pass over us and, and, and remove some things in our life that need to be removed, that are not dependent on God because they're independent from him. And there might be in those seasons of time we think, where is God in all of this? All you're doing is ripping things away from my life that I've been holding on to. All you're doing is ripping things that I have enjoyed or I have investment in. All you're doing is ripping things away. And all I have left is this barren wasteland, it seems. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah and all the animals. And he caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. The same word for wind here is used in Genesis chapter 1. Right? And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. This draws us back to the creation, back to the creation story. The wind covers over the waters, and the waters begin to subside. God remembered Noah. God remembers his creation. God remembers you. There might be things that are being ripped out of your life, and they need to be, but they hurt, and it's painful. And I want you to hear this morning that God remembers you. He remembers you. 
Though what you might be getting ripped out of your life is difficult and hard and painful, he remembers you. And he desires to, 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 for you to know that, to be in relationship with you. Joel, keep reading in verse 17, please. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. All right, so do you see the connecting the dot here, right? From, from the Genesis story of, look, I, animals, I put you in here, and on the earth I've created to be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve, I've created you. Manny, I've created you to be fruitful and multiply. And now, coming out of the ark into this new and barren wasteland, after having been, been flooded for months, they come out and he says, look, in all of this, it's still the purpose, still the call. Be fruitful and multiply. All living creatures, uh, um, man and women, right? Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. That purpose still existed for them. It calls us back to the creation story of the, how God intended it to be. I, I've created this beautiful thing, the garden, the garden of Eden, and all of creation, it's good. And Adam and Eve, you're very good. And I've created you for a purpose. Be fruitful and multiply here. Right? I've put you in here uh, to, to have communion with me, the creator, but also as a responsibility to work the garden. And it's good. And it's good for you. Uh, Joel, keep reading in 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay. Know that I will never... God says I will never do this again. Though what I know to be true, what God says I know to be true, is that there still is an inclination in our hearts to be independent from God and not dependent upon him. It's there, right? And we know that. We, I mean, this week, today, hopefully, maybe even, well, there's times where we get reminded, there are times I have an opportunity to choose independence from God rather than dependence on him. It's there, Though God says here in a promise, I will never do this again. Joel, keep reading in, um, uh, we're gonna go to chapter nine in verse one. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and, all, uh, and on all the birds in the sky on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I know give you everything. And so here we see, <clears throat> see we see more of that covenant relationship with God and humanity. We also see that be fruitful and multiply, but also there's a partnership here, but it's very different from the garden as it should be. And here's how it's going to exist. Every creature on this earth will be, will be filled with terror from you. That doesn't sound like creation, right? That doesn't sound like the garden. That sounds like more of, here's the reality of what we're living into. Here's where you're at. 
Because of the fall, because of choosing independence rather than dependence, here's where we're at. Still be fruitful and multiply. And I've given you authority over the, the, every animal and the beast and every plant. I've given you authority over that. How will you treat it? How will you care for God's creation? How will you... How will it look more like the garden and less like Noah coming off the ark? And that will it be, will, the, will all, all of God's creation be filled in terror because of us, <laughs> because of humanity? Or will we partner with God to be the, 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 the priest kings here on earth, to represent God? Like to, to be more of his image of God, the Imago Dei, and to live into the Missio Dei, the mission of God in subduing the, the earth, to caring for his creation. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this, that when we rest, that's when we get to see a picture, a foretaste, a picture of the, the garden. And all of God's creation, it, it was... I mean, work was a part of it, six days work. And what does it look like to be different? Rest. If we keep working, then it looks more like this, everything is in terror of, of humanity, although we have authority over what God has given us in his creation. But it, we get a foretaste of the garden when we rest with God. And it looks more like the garden and less like Noah coming out of the, of the ark. We're going to skip ahead to Joel to, uh, to verse 9, please. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature in that was with you, the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will, I will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Never again. Never again. Joel, uh, uh, skip ahead to 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and, I will be, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I have set my bow in the clouds. And this will be a sign to God. A lot of times we look up at the rainbow after, after it rains and it's beautiful in all the colors. It's fantastic, right? All the colors God decided to put in there. And he puts that over. And, and I get to look at that and I get, to, I get to see the beauty of God's creation and the colors that he's, he's put there. That bow in the sky isn't for me. That bow in the sky is to remind God of me. <laughs> God, remember me. And then when I look at it, I know that God's remembering me, his creation. Never again will I do this. Never again will I destroy the earth. I, I desire to be in relationship with my creation. And never again will I do that. I put the bow, God puts the bow in the, in the sky so that he is, rem he is reminded of me. Not the other way around. And you know what that does when it shifts the perspective? I, I, it's me no longer in the middle, it's God. 
And I recognize that as his creation, as his son, or as his daughter, that, that we are, are remembered by God. And it puts God in the middle. It puts God at the center. Not me. God remembers me. If I look up at that rainbow and it's beautiful and, and, um, and all the colors, and I'm amazed by God's creation and how he decides to put things the way he puts it. It's God that's remembering me. That bow in the sky for after the flood, for Noah and his family and all the descendants after, is a, rem is a reminder for God that he will never do this again. It's a reminder to God that he desires to be in relationship with, with his creation. He desires for that guarded moment, for the, the time to commune with God, to be there. And that, that covenant in the sky, that sign in the sky is a covenant for us that he will no longer do this. Uh, Joel, read 16 for us, please. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. I will see it and be reminded of the everlasting covenant that's there between God and his creation. And if you think of this, the symbol or the shape of the bow, right? Like a, 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 a bow for shooting a bow and arrow, right? For hunting and for protection. This, it's a weapon, Hung upside down, though, not for destruction. It's enough. That shape of the bow in the sky, it is enough. The destruction that has taken place, it's enough. And now we can rest. And now we can be about the mission of what God's called us to because we know who, whose we are. I'm a dearly loved child of God. And I want to be with him and I want to rest with him. And I'm called on mission and what he's doing in the world. That bow upside down hanging in the sky, it is enough. It's enough. So again, it's, a, it's this Noah and the flood story is a call back to the garden. God creates six days and he says, it's enough. It's good. It's very good. It's enough. It's rest. Noah in the flood story, destruction, destruction, destruction. The rainbow in the sky. He hangs up the bow. It is enough. Let's come back into communion with God, into, into relationship with God into right relationship. And as you read scripture, as you read the narratives of scripture, let's put the questions back up here just to be reminded. I hope this is bringing a fresh and new way of reading scripture and seeing God an invitation to relationship, an invitation to covenant, an invitation to kingdom partnership. That it existed with Adam and Eve, though it's in broken, and it exists with Noah and his family, though it's broken and imperfect. It exists for us today. It exists for us today. Know that he remembers you. No matter what you walked in here with, he remembers you. And he calls you by name. And he loves you. And he desires for you to hear his voice. And to step into right relationship with him. And what that looks like for you and for all those around you. 
As we respond this morning, I pray that those words resonate with you. He remembers you. And he loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, lead us, I pray, as we respond to your, your, the leading of your spirit, as we respond to, God, the things you have put on our hearts. Areas you, you have, are calling us to wipe clean, areas you are calling us to be reminded that you remember us, and then we can rest in you. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear your voice and to respond the way you've called us. In your name, amen.